Hello, welcome back to the Age of Awareness podcast with your hosts, Sean Fallon and Stephen Musket. In today's conversation, we speak with Principal Kefele. Uh, we cover a number of topics ranging from how to better support your assistant principals, so in turn they can better support your school, uh, what it means to pursue to be a equitable school, and also maybe the daunting task for some uh, to try to change school culture as an administrator. And I really think uh, both administrators and teachers and even parents will really appreciate the points made in this conversation here today. Um, so welcome back to the Age of Awareness podcast and to our second episode of season two. We hope you enjoy. Well, Principal Kefele, it's good to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. I wanted to start off first with something that caught my attention. When I was first introduced to the, the body of work that you have, you know, you've got workshops, you've got books, you've got publications, you've got podcast interviews. It's, it's quite extensive. And there's a clear and apparent focus in part, not, not the whole body, but in part on the assistant principal. And I, I think when I, when I think back to my educational experience, I guess what that made me realize was while I always knew who my principal was and considered my principal to be the leader of the school, every time I got in trouble, I was dealing with the assistant principal. And so that person had a really hands-on experience with my, you know, my education for, well, for as long as I was in school. And it, it dawned on me that you, you've narrowed in on something that perhaps many people overlook. So I, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how you, you just landed on assistant principals. Like what, how did you get to that focus of elevating that position? Yeah. You know, as, as a, as a principal, I noticed it in terms of just observing others and, and how they were utilizing their own assistant principals. In fact, I can go back to my teaching days and remember that as a principal or looking at the principal while I was teacher, I saw her role, but I also noticed the role of the assistant principal. And I noticed that they were very different. And the assistant principal in terms of what I could see was a full-time disciplinarian or full-time working the cafeteria during the lunch periods, or full-time doing bus duty, those type of things. So I never questioned it because I didn't, I didn't have enough information to question it. I, I, I didn't think as a leader when I was a teacher because you know, that just wasn't my lane yet. So when I became a principal and I started thinking about how I could best utilize the assistant principal, it contradicted everything I thought I knew. So my training of the assistant principal was consistent with my training as a principal. But then moving on, kind of fast forwarding into my consulting life, and I'm, I'm looking at it on, through a larger lens now because I'm looking at it nationally, and I'm seeing school after school after school, the assistant principal is a disciplinarian. Now, on, on the surface, that's not a problem because if there are discipline issues, then somebody's got to address it. But if you start going below the surface, and you look at the fact that this assistant principal probably evaluates the same number of teachers that the principal evaluates, if not more. So now you've got a person that supervises and subsequently evaluates staff 
but is never in position to see staff or in position to coach staff or to train staff or to make certain recommendations to staff or advise staff. This person never does that, but yet this person is responsible for evaluating staff. So now you, you've got situations in schools where you've got an, uh, you've got teachers who may be substandard. You've got teachers who may be underperforming, but they're going to be rewarded because there's no data on them because this assistant principal does not live in those classrooms. So I use that word live uh, purposely because as an administrator, as a principal, as assistant principal, whomever's administrative in that building, you've got to have an ongoing uh, clinical supervision relationship with that principal. When I say clinical supervision, an ongoing coaching relationship with that teacher, pointing out those areas where the two of us can mutually work together to help that teacher to grow in those areas. So as I looked at it, I said, this is a problem, not only in terms of locally where I am, this is a national problem. So, and the only way that that teacher is going to grow within the building, as opposed to growing outside of the building, is when that ongoing coaching takes place. So it's called instructional leadership. And that leader, when I talk to administrators, whether it be principal or assistant principal, I always say, instructional leadership must be at the core of your work. And if you're finding that you're a full-time disciplinarian because you perceive you have behavioral problems and issues in the school, then I will counter that by saying that, no, those problems are not necessarily what you think they are. You've got some problems, what I would put under the umbrella of culture and climate. So the culture of the building has flaws. The climate of the building has flaws and it manifests in student behavior. So you're giving all this attention to behavior, the micro, but you're missing the macro, the culture of the building. And that's got to get the attention so that once we, we start shifting the culture of the school and the climate of the school, now we begin to free up that administrator to become that instructional leader that he or she should be in the first place. I really like how you frame that. It's a misunderstood yeah. role. Because uh, even going back to, again, when I was thinking about my own experience, it the assistant principal occurred differently to me as a student. I know I'm not a teacher, so it's I'm only ever going to see so much. But even as I've gotten older and, and had a more, I've just gotten more exposure to how schools operate, how the education system works, it seems like it's a lever that's that's just not really fully used. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can see a parallel too to the business world. The chief of staff is completely misunderstood in yeah. terms of, you know, if a CEO has got a chief of staff, what does that, per, you, you know, how, how do you actually take advantage of somebody in that position? And it's, it's a potentially there's a, there's a parallel there. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's definitely a parallel there. And, and, and when, when we don't define those roles in a way that everybody understands, see a lot of assistant principals, they'll, they'll spend years being what I just described this full-time disciplinarian. And then for whatever reason, they interview, well, they know somebody it's their time, whatever it is, they get that promotion. And now I'm a principal. 
But I was never, even though I spent 10 years in the assistant principalship, five or 10 years, I, I was not prepared for this. If you want me to suspend a student, I do that very well. Right. If you want to make if you want me to get a student and pick up a tray and put it in the garbage in the cafeteria, I do that very well. But when we talk about being able to manage a multi-million dollar budget, right, or being able to manage a master schedule at the secondary level, or being that instructional coach of a teacher, or, or dealing with various different personalities of staff, and I can go on and on, this person's not equipped. Because this person was not trained by his or her direct supervisor, that principal, to be proficient and make that transition seamless into the principalship. So it becomes problematic. So that so so coming in, the onus is really on the principal and not the AP. Like all, all this material I've written for APs and all these just thousands upon thousands or hundreds upon hundreds of hours of content on the Saturday morning virtual AP Leadership Academy, the AP can't implement most of it unless there's a principal there that understands the true role of an assistant principal. And think about the title, assistant. That person is there to assist the principal. But if I'm working independently as, as, as the cleanup guy, then I'm not assisting the principal at all in terms of with the exception of just keeping stuff off of your back and off your radar. But in terms of truly assisting you toward moving the academic needle, because at the end of the day, the children are in school to learn. So, 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 so now the assistant principal has to ask oneself, as I always use this prop, the mirror, they have to ask oneself, what is it about my role? that is assisting the principal with moving the academic needle so that we become a high-performing school. Really aligning your activities, aligning what you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis with that bigger picture vision that a principal might be laying out for the school at large or the staff at large. Absolutely. You, know, you mentioned something else, the, the climate, the culture. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched one of your your uh, clips and you used the word, which I thought was so spot on, the mood, yeah. which really captures what, what I have to imagine students have a really good sense of. You know, they can probably walk in and within moments understand the social dynamics. Yeah. And then you see it reflected in the behaviors that are tolerated by teachers or not tolerated. And so on and so forth. So it's it there there are things that are readily apparent. One thing that I always wonder about is changing a culture. Yeah. Shifting a culture is not it's not, you can rewrite a mission statement. You can re redo your shared values. You can you, you can do all sorts of things that while important, you know that they, they're important artifacts in isolation aren't going to have the kind of impact that some other symbolic acts might might have. And so I, I'm curious if you have any advice or guidance to say, hey, if you're really going to take a crack at culture, like if you're really going to go for it, here's here's what you got to realize. It's going to take years. It's going to take consistent reiteration of blah, blah, blah. Like what what would what, what's your advice and guidance for somebody who's actually going to take on school culture? Yeah, you know, I think about it on so many different levels because that question for a principal 
is a very different question for a classroom teacher, right? It's, it's two different worlds. Because when we talk about culture, as I define as the lifestyle of, of, of an environment and, and the, and the um, climate, as you said, the mood of the environment. Well, the teacher is, is really talking about the, the, the classroom environment. But that principle is looking at a bigger picture, the entire building environment, which includes it, it could include some of the outside um, environment outside of the school. So, so now we're looking at a bigger picture because, see, when the culture of some classrooms is good, is 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 sufficient, but the culture of other classrooms within that same building or that same space are are insufficient, then they could have an adverse impact on what's happening in a classroom. But that teacher is not in position to correct the the culture, the climate of the rooms around him or her. That, that shifting of the culture, it begins with the leadership, begins with that principle. It begins with that that overall purpose, mission, and vision that that principal has, or that leader. If we if we take it out of the school space, that leader has for the organization. So I think about every school that I led. I went into four schools to lead over my fourteen years, and it always started with me on day one. When I'm working with a room full of principals, as opposed to APs now, principals, I'm asking them the question. On the first day that students come back from summer break, walk me through that. What does it look like? What does it sound like? And I'm only I'm only looking for one thing, but I want to hear what they have to say and what emphasis did it receive. And the one thing I'm looking for, at what point do you engage that entire school in your back to school message? Right. Not not your back to school list of rules. Right. But your back to school message, which lays a foundation and sets a tone for who we are and where we're going. And I might add in what we're about. So when I don't hear that, then I go to the principals and I say, at what point do you talk to your school so that they can hear what you're thinking? Because if if anybody out there listening follows sports. On game day, and since we're in football season in the, in the midst of it, I'll, I'll, I'll use that as an example. There'll never be a day that the coach, well, let me let me reframe that. There'll never be a day when the players come into the locker room, put on their uniform, and then go out onto the field and wait for the start of the game. I don't care how many times that they've had conversation with the coach or listened to the coach during the season, off season, whatever it is, on game day, before they march out the tunnel onto the field, out the locker room, through the tunnel, onto the field, the head coach, not the assistant coach, the head coach has the final say. It doesn't have to be a rah-rah message. It could be just something very calm, just those final words. But I'm going to, I'm going to give them those, these last remarks before we march out onto the field. So that's on game day. So now I'm saying to the principal, every day is game day because when the students are in the building, it's on. Hey, principal, what'd you say to lay a foundation for today? Not tomorrow, not the week, just today. What did you say to set a tone for just today? Because leader, guess what? There is a student walking into your building today 
that is so detached from everything that you're about as a school. This student has contents on his or her plate that are that, that, that are beyond fingertips wide, beyond ceiling high, and school may not be relevant. What is it that you're saying, leader, that that youngster hears you and says, oh, maybe I still, despite what I'm dealing with, can be successful in life. See, so that's so 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 I'm saying all that just to say that that's a starting place. It's not the end game, but it's a starting place for 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 creating this culture that's conducive to young people having a willingness to soar, creating a climate, a mood where young people have a willingness to soar. See, I'm not talking about an ability to soar. For me, that's always a given. The youngsters are brilliant. I just have to convince them of that. I mean, in the collective eye now, all of us. But the will, see, we're talking about attitude, not skill, not ability. Does youngster have the will to soar? And see, with, with the work I've done over the years, which has always been rooted in attitude, we're talking about the will. Got to help young people want to be successful, believe they can be successful, envision that they can be successful. So if I can get you to want it, if I can get you to desire it, if I can get you to believe it, if I can get you to envision it, the content will take care of itself. The skill and ability will take care of itself. We're talking about shifting the culture. Where now you got a school full of young people who have the will to be phenomenal the will to be extraordinary. That's a different place from a, from a school where we're just trying to try, try, trying to drill down this test preparation and, and got to get these extra five points and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a different culture. That's a test. That's a testing culture. I want an education culture. Over the last few years, we have had significant social reevaluation between pandemic and then the the brightest spotlight of all time shown on really the failures of our education system and, and the broader system itself to provide equitable opportunities to everyone who steps foot into a school. And so earlier you alluded to the fact that principals and then subsequently the administration, they, the, the culture and the climate, those things don't exist in isolation. They have to take into account what's happening outside of the walls of the school. That's right. And especially, too, if you've got a community that on an individual basis might be at risk, but then when you zoom out, you see that it, it it's not just one student that's facing something. It's a significant portion, if not the the majority yeah. of the student population that's facing something. So can you share a little bit about in those moments where it's it's not just one, but it's many? Yeah. What's a principal or a leader, a school leader to do? Yeah. See, that's why I reference that back to school meeting to start off. We, we, we're talking about a whole school. For me, let me let me personalize it. I, I know 
that in terms of who's coming into the school, just based on data alone, we're talking about a majority of young people who are underperforming, just based on data. You know, your typical urban school, unless we're talking about a school that had a breakthrough. So so the data says, huh, we are in a state of emergency. We're in a, a crisis here. We're demonstrating that we cannot read and write and compute at grade level. So to start us, just to get us started, that's that back to school message. But here's the thing. I'll use it as an example when I was a high school principal. That message is so uplifting, is so positive, is so convincing that you all are phenomenal. You're extraordinary. But in that crowd, that audience is grade 9, 10, 11, and 12. A freshman is not going to hear me the same way a senior does, or a senior is not going to hear me the way a freshman does. A junior and a sophomore are hearing two different messages because as I break that up into the the four different grade levels, those are four different groups of people. So now as leader, once I finish the broad message to the school, now I'm going to have a freshman message. And I'm going to speak to the freshman for probably an hour. Then I'm going to have a sophomore message. That's another hour. My whole day, that's all I'm doing. First day of school. Then I'm going to have a junior message. That's an hour. Then I'm going to have a senior message. I've now spoken five hours. My day is over, practically. But I laid a foundation for the remaining 179 days. But the way I led, and I hope somebody picks this up and ran and runs with it, my seniors, the reason they were last is because on day two, we're going to come back and do it over. But this time, the seniors will address the freshman class. Now, I typically did this with my male population because I have a whole male focus. So my young men are going to speak to my young men freshmen. And we do the same thing with our, our senior young women and so forth. And so now I won't, I won't have any involvement. I'll just be sitting there watching, admiring, because we were training these young people from the time they were freshmen up until this senior year for this moment. So now this is something that they will be doing because I will be doing these great, these school-wide and grade level meetings with my school at the, on the first day of every month. That's just the culture of the building that, that we know that Principal Kefele is, is going to address us, the state of the school message, if you will. But that second day, we're coming back together. And now my upperclassmen will speak to their slightly younger peers and give them their message. Imagine what that's doing for both the climate and the culture of a school when you've got your slightly older peers, your upperclassmen saying, here's what we expect of this of, of, of you all, the incoming freshmen. And imagine when they're doing that in shirt and tie, they looking like they're the principal of the building, which is, I'm very, as I say to everybody, old, 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 old school. So, so with that, I'm a certain tie guy when I was a principal. I never, the students never saw me in anything but that is unless they saw me outside of school hours. So imagine what that's doing in terms of the impact it had on young people. And that's just, I've given you now just a, a smidgen of addressing the culture and climate of the school. 
there's so much more to talk about, but that's always my foundation. That's that's my base. That's got to happen. So so let me couple it with this. Every day. Here's my here's my question when I'm doing the principal seminars again. I, I asked before, tell me what that first day looks like. Now I say principal, walk me through from from the time between the late bell and when first period begins in the elementary school, when teaching begins, walk me through that in terms of your role. Now, they don't know where I'm going unless they're familiar with my work. Just walk me through the late bell to when instruction begins. What role do you play? So with, with some, they'll say, I'm just making sure everybody's in class, blah, blah, blah. So, OK, but that's not what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the one that says I speak to the school. Right. Whether that be a morning convocation in person in an auditorium or gym, if they if if they have the facility large enough to accommodate, you know, depending on what numbers the, the population of students they have. But the PA works just fine when the culture is such that it's a culture that understands that when the principal is on is on the loudspeaker, the world stops. Right. All ears on the principal's voice. So so now we don't have to be in person. So now, so principal, are you saying to me, you don't address your school? It's game day. That's important. And I don't mean an address where you, where some script you wrote. I don't mean that. I don't, I don't mean, so, so, you know, the rules and how disappointed you are. We're not following them. I mean that message that resonates throughout the building that now the teachers can reinforce so that in every classroom in that building, we are speaking the same language, not, not, not mimicking the principle, but we, but we've got common, common language in the building that this is what we're about. This is who we are. And we do in fact, follow the lead of the leader. Right. So then that starts lending itself to the culture and 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 it, it was so heavy with me. I tell folks all the time, and I know I'm giving you a longer answer than you asked for, but I tell folks all the time, I will delegate anything and everything to an assistant principal. But the one thing that I will not delegate is the microphone. I was watching this doc, well, it wasn't a documentary. It was a movie on the life of the Jacksons, you know, as in Jackson 5, Michael Jackson. And, and when when Michael was around like 12 ish, something like that, he was in the in, in the studio, in the booth, the sound room with um, Barry Gordy. And he was touching the knobs and his father, Joe Jackson, got upset with him. Keep your hands over that stuff. And Barry Gordy said, no, no, let him learn. Let him touch things. It's no problem. He's not going to break anything. So he, he gave Michael the microphone that was in there. And he said to Michael, young 12-year-old Michael Jackson, he said, this is your hammer. He said, never relinquish your hammer, right? And I wasn't even thinking about becoming a principal, I don't think, at that time I saw it. But when I became one, I reflected back on it. And I said, that microphone, because a microphone is such a powerful instrument when, when leadership knows how to use it. So I never delegated the mic to my assistants. I gave them, in terms of the morning message, I gave them ample opportunity to use it in other situations. But in terms of who launches the day, 
I'm never giving that to somebody. I mean, think about some head coach that says to the assistant, here, it's your team to, I'll sit back. It, it doesn't happen, right? So, so or, or even in the religious community, as I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm raised in the Baptist church. And, and when I have Baptist folks in the audience, they really relate to this. I'm gonna share this here. I say, when, when, when the folks go to church and they discover that the pastor is not preaching, that is typically a problem. People are upset. Like, no, what the pastor's not preaching. Who's preaching? Right. Because they understand that's that's that past. That's that leader's role. So with me. I took that that seriously, but but it was interesting because when I anytime I was absent and it was rare, but anytime I was absent, the students would approach me in the morning. Where were you? And I always ask, like, why you ask that morning message? It was incredible, especially when I got to the high school level. And we're talking about 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds talking about we need the message. Really? That's not normal. But this is what they were saying. We we need the message in the morning. The older ones would say, that's our cup of coffee. Right. And I say, wow, they hear me. Right. So that's, you know, again, and that's shaping the climate and the culture of the building. But there's so much more. You know, I just wanted to start you off with that. Well, Principal Kefele, we are coming up on the the end of our our time together. We really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. You got any final messages for the audience out there? Uh, a cup of coffee for yeah, a teacher yeah. that's listening. The, uh, you know, a kick in the behind for that administrator who's recognizing that they're, you know, they got they got more to give and are trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, I I got this. To, to leaders out there, to classroom teachers out there, to anybody out there that works with children. This may be the perceived controversial part of what I'm gonna say. This word equity, don't, don't listen to the outside noise and, and think that this, that this word is the boogeyman, right? It's some kind of four letter word. Equity as I define it, I wrote a book called The Equity and Social Justice Education 50, and I was very deliberate in how I defined that word. There's a million different of colleagues of mine that, that are equity warriors, and they've got their definitions, but I stand on mine until I can't stand anymore. And, and I say that equity is simply meeting young people where they are, dot, 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 as they are, period. So for the folks out there with all this noise that equities, oh, this is a bad thing. Don't let this in the building. This can't be in our schools, in our classrooms. And, and even, you know, my, myself, you know, folks, could you not mention equity? You know, that type of thing in my presentation. I'm like, wait a minute, pump the brakes for a second. Are you asking me not to talk about meeting children where they are? As they are, would you prefer that I give them a lecture where we give everybody the same thing at the same time, at the same pace, at the same rate? You're good with that? Wouldn't you want me to meet that individual who's here down low, down there where he is, or that one who's midstream right there where he or she is, or one that's up here, wouldn't you want me to meet them way up there as opposed to taking the one who's reading three grade levels below grade, three three grade levels below grade level, and the one in the classroom who's gifted in reading four and five grade levels above, you want me to meet them at the same place? That's what you want? 
That's not equitable and that's not going to help anybody. Meeting young people where they are, as they are, that's equity. So my final message is to anybody, everybody that hears this, don't you run away from that word. Don't you don't don't listen to the outside noise. There's a youngster in your building that needs you to be equitable. When I say a youngster, I'm speaking for the collective. There are children in there that need you to be equitable, allowing them to maintain and sustain their own individuality. And when and when you undermine or sabotage their individuality, then they get lost. They're in a classroom that's represented by the word all, as opposed to a classroom that's represented by the word each. And that word each is much more significant than the word all because children get lost in all classrooms, but they never get lost in each because everyone is accounted for student individuality. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't even know what the, we better end on that. <laughs> wow, Principal Confetti, thank you so much. How if people were inspired by or if they if there's something that that you said that really lit them up, how can they find you? Where can they go to get in touch with you or read more about about what you what you do? Yeah, they they, they can go to principalcafele.com which has everything, all my videos, all my writings, uh, my my, my uh, podcast interviews, everything is my books. Uh, everything is there. And then my social media as well. Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook at Principal Cafele. I'm on Twitter at Principal Cafele. And then my, my, you know, my real jewel is one of my YouTube channels, the virtual AP Leadership Academy, where we broadcast every Saturday morning at 1055. And we're talking to primarily the assistant principal. But because I know that I've got an extremely diverse audience that either tunes in live or um, watches the videos, I make sure that we, we remain relevant to everybody that's there, which includes the lay people who are not even in education. So that's how uh, you can watch that right on YouTube at Virtual AP Leadership Academy. You can see all the videos, 127 weeks worth, or um, join me live any Saturday morning at 1055 Eastern Time. Right on. All right. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. And we hope to have Principal Cafele on for a part two to that conversation. Um, again, if you want to find Principal Cafele or connect with him, he is on principalcafele.com. Um, you can find him on Twitter as well. Uh, but yeah, all of his works, past works, his interviews, his writings, um, and his contact information is on principalcafele.com. So uh, feel free to reach out there and uh, tune in next time for our next episode. Thanks. Thanks.